0: Thanks for tuning in to the Durban Memorial Baptist Church podcast. We're a group of sinners saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and here you will hear the word of God. As always, it is an honor to steward this pulpit for this congregation. And it's no secret that I love the word steward. You've heard me say that quite a bit. I sprinkle it into almost every sermon that I've given. I I talk about it all the time, and it's because I believe it is the biblical way to view what we are doing here in this world. A a steward is someone who manages someone else's property. That's what a, a steward is. And if we truly believe that Jesus has saved us We understand then that our lives are no longer ours, but they are his. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Thus, our lives are now something to be stewarded for God's glory. We're to use our lives to serve the one to whom they now belong. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about how it was both his job and it was Apollo's Apollo's job as servants of Christ to steward the mysteries of God. That is saying that it was their job to understand, to preach, and to teach the full gospel of Jesus to those with whom they had the opportunity to talk. They were showing people that Jesus was the promised Messiah, he is the only Savior. So their lives were spent stewarding this message, caring for it, proclaiming it, and it deserved to be proclaimed. After declaring in verse one, Paul says this very interesting thing in verse two. I want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter four, verse two. It says, moreover, it is required of the steward, of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Other translations say that they be found trustworthy faithful it is required of stewards that they be found faithful he goes on to explain that he's not concerned with being judged by other people or by the court system or even himself he says that stewards must be found and judged as faithful and trustworthy by none other than the lord he says that the lord will disclose the purposes of the heart there in first corinthians chapter 4 then everyone will receive their reward from God for how they stewarded, how well they served the Lord through the stewardship of their lives. Brad, why does this matter? Why is this important for us? Well, it should put us all on high alert and high notice that we will be judged and rewarded. Now, it's important to note here, this reward for faithful service, for faithful stewardship, for trustworthy use of what God has given to us, is subsequent, comes after the gift of salvation. We're told in scripture that the, those uh, who, who are uh, 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 through our works are, 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 will be, if they are worthless, they will be burnt up. And though those worthless works are burnt up, the eternal salvation of all those who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, their salvation will be secured. So why then should we care? Why should we care about stewarding our lives for God's glory? If we're saved, why does it matter if there's an extra reward? In truth, the extra reward is the cherry on top. But when we love the Lord, We understand the salvation that he gives and he alone gives. We should want to serve him all the more. The reward for faithful stewardship is icing on the cake. And spoiler alert, we give those rewards right back. But church, I am imploring you this morning to take the stewardship of your life in serving the Lord seriously. And... Joyfully. Those two things can go hand in hand. Take it seriously and joyfully. It's what we're called to do. And when it's all over, who wouldn't want to hear those words Well done, my good and faithful servant. My job. And my goal as the pastor of this congregation is to equip you all to do the good works, to do the stewardship of your life so that you may be found faithful and blessed beyond anything we could ever imagine. So I will shamelessly implore you once more, join us tonight as we talk about uh, revitalizing our mission for stewarding our lives and being a gospel conversational church. Now, in the series that we've been looking at for the past month or so, we've been looking at this Lost Ark saga as recorded in 1 Samuel. And we've seen throughout this series, Israel had a stewardship problem. We've seen throughout this series that they were God's chosen people. God brought them up out of Egypt. If you've ever seen the Prince of Egypt, you know that story. God brought them out. It was awesome. He gave them the law. He told them how they should live, how they should be. He helped them time and time again to uh, deliver them from different people who wanted to attack them and things like that. They were supposed to be living their lives in submission to him, but they weren't. Instead of exclusively following the Lord as they were called to do, They wanted to look like their pagan neighbors. They wanted to worship the same gods as their neighbors. They wanted to be polytheistic is a word. It just means multiple gods that they were worshiping like their neighbors. And so they started worshiping those other gods and they did whatever was right in their own eyes, whatever they thought was good. Even the priests in this section of scripture were evil for the most part. They were apathetic to the Lord. The people were And all of that led us to where we began in the Lost Ark saga. So if you had looked through chapters 4 through 7 of 1 Samuel as a movie, today what we're coming at is the climax of the movie. This is the the pinnacle of the movie. So if you would, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And if you've ever taken a creative writing course they'll tell you that stories are basically broken down into five basic parts. You have exposition in the beginning where you find out who the characters are and kind of the details going on in the story. And then you have the rising action and you're introduced to the conflict, everything that is going on within the story. And then you have the climax. The climax of the story is the turning point for this story. It's where the main character really begins to learn their lesson. Uh, It's usually quickly followed by some falling action and a resolution, but you spend the bulk of the movie leading up to and then waiting in the climax of the movie. For our purposes this morning, I want to suggest to you that our section of scripture today is the climax, falling action, and resolution to this saga that we've been walking through for the last month. But Take note before we go and do this any further, while we're using elements of a story to understand better what's happening in this narrative, do not forget, this is a historical narrative. This is real. This is not fiction. This is a real occurrence captured in the pages of God's word. And we're breaking it down into these terms. But God has a real truth to teach us through these real events. So let's kind of recap where we've been at in this saga. Uh, in First Samuel chapter four, verses one through 11, you, that can be seen as the exposition. Uh, in that section, you see a battle warming up between the Philistines and the Israelites. And it becomes clear what's really going on is God is disciplining his people for rejecting him. Then from 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 12 through all the way in 7-2, where we ended off last week, we have this rising action. The Israelites are mourning after they were defeated in battle. And then the Philistines take the Ark of the Covenant into their own temple, and God afflicts them with these plagues and death in their camp, and they send the ark from city to city, and everywhere the ark goes, these plagues follow them all around. God's judgment follows them. And then finally, as we saw last week, the, Phil- the Philistines finally send the ark back to Israel. So on a cursory glance, just looking through chapters 4 through 7, One might be tempted to think that getting the ark back to Israel is the climax of the story, but it's not. You would think so because Israel lost the ark. Israel got the ark back. What else could there be, Brad? (laughs) You named this series The Lost Ark. Of course, it's about getting the ark back. But I would suggest to you the recovery of the ark, though a great occurrence ordained by God to happen as it did, is not the turning point. Of the story, But the peak of this story is here in verses 3 through 6 of First Samuel chapter 7. Read this with me. And Samuel said to all of the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Asheroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all of Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to you or I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. So there is the climax of this story, the peak, the turning point of everything that we have looked at. The climax of the Lost Ark saga saga isn't about the ark at all. The lost ark saga is about God bringing his people to repentance. And finally, after months and years of judgment and rebellion, his people are repenting and coming back to the God who is worthy of their affections. There is so much going on in just these four verses We're going to park it here. We're going to break down these four verses for most of what we're going to do this morning. Now, let me say, I've mentioned before, my wife and I love going to movies. It's a fun time for us, primarily for the popcorn. All that's true. But one thing that my wife does not love is coming home from the movies with me. (laughs) And it's not because she's upset over the movie or whatever. It's because after every movie, (laughs) I am a critical monster who wants to tear apart every piece and every plot hole of everything that has happened within this movie. Uh, And I recognize that dealing with me after a movie is a daunting task. (laughs) She's laughing, but she's like, it's true. (laughs) But when it comes to our scripture this morning, I love to dig deep. As deep as we can, but praise be to God that Proverbs 35 says every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And the deeper I look at his word, the more it proves true. I tell you this because I truly believe if you dive into the word of God, even if you begin with a critical eye, God can use that to show you the glorious truthfulness of his word. You won't be disappointed. So knowing that I love to break things down, indulge me for a bit this morning as we walk through what is happening here in this climax of the narrative. Look back at verse 3 of chapter 7. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Asherahs, from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. What Samuel is doing here is he is addressing the house of Israel. He is telling them to repent. We we will look at his message to them in a moment, but first remember who Samuel is. This is only the second time that his name has come up all throughout this lost ark saga that we have been walking through. Samuel was called by God and is recognized as the first in a line of prophets for Israel uh, following the judges. You can look that up in Acts 13, 20, Uh, but he's mentioned way back in the exposition of this narrative, way back in uh, uh, verse one of chapter four. And uh, uh, there uh, it says that his word has gone out to all of Israel way back before even the first battle of the Israelites and the Philistines. So the question that we have to ask ourselves here, where has Samuel been this whole time? We've seen a lot of crazy things going on. Where Where's Samuel been? The truth is we're not explicitly told in scripture where Samuel was, but Charles Spurgeon gave this question some thought. And he said, I know not what he was doing during that time, but I have a suspicion. I may say I have a firm persuasion that he was going from place to place, preaching in quiet spots wherever he could gather an audience, warning the people of their sin and stirring them to seek Jehovah, thus endeavoring to infuse some spirituality into their national life. You see, all throughout First Samuel, uh, even in the first three chapters that we covered last summer or so, whenever it was, Samuel is shown to be the faithful uh, servant of the Lord and committed to serving the Lord well. We know that Israel as a whole was not being good stewards of what God had given them to do uh, and, what, and the life that God had given them. They were unfaithful, but Samuel is kind of the exception In this area, we can only assume that he was faithfully serving the Lord throughout this whole story that uh, we've been going through. So let's look at the message that this faithful steward of the life God has given him, Samuel, had for the Israelites. First, he says there, he says, are you returning or if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, if you are returning to the Lord with all your. Your heart, he says. Pause right here and really consider what that means. If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart. He didn't say if you half-heartedly peek back at God. He said if you're returning to the Lord with all of your heart. Humanity has a problem. We have a problem of being half-hearted. We want to divide our attentions. In a million little ways. Rather than focus. On any one thing. And the problem with being half-hearted. Is that you're easily distracted. Prior to all the events. That we've seen in this series. Israel was half-hearted to say the least. About God. They gave him some sacrifices. They uh, also worshipped other gods. As we've. Seen, and as we will see here in a moment as well. But when you live half heartedly, you never love fully. When you live half heartedly, you never love fully. That's the whole point of the events that we've been looking at in this series. God is showing his people that they were not following him with a full heart and thus drawing their intention back to him where it should be. Their devotion should be to him and to him alone. Samuel here is very basically giving an invitation to the people of Israel. He says it's an invitation to repent and be made right before God. He, He knows and he tells his people that such an act must be done with all of one's heart. Unfortunately, in our modern day, Many have responded to the invitation of a preacher or an evangelist or maybe even a friend at a conversation over coffee. They've responded to such a message, but with a half a heart. A heart that in the moment says that they would wish to be exempt from the wrath of God, but a heart that has no desire to serve and submit to God. In Samuel's invitation, we see that you can't half do Returning to the Lord. You can't half do repentance. Also, notice the heart is something internal. Samuel cannot see inside the soul of the individual Israelites. You can fool a pastor with an Oscar worthy performance of verbal confession. But if internally you are insincere in your repentance, then it is all for naught. If you're returning to the Lord with all your heart, Samuel says, he says with, also with your heart, with all your heart. The Israelites face the national crisis. They will each still answer to God individually. And the same goes for us. Think about your heart. All of us will stand before the Lord alone. Your pastor, your deacon, your Sunday school teacher, your mama, your brother. No one will be able to answer for you. So you have to ask yourself, have you turned to the Lord with all your heart? The first part of Samuel's message is a message of repentance. And it's an inward repentance. It's all about the heart. And he admonishes people to show outward repentance in the next part of the verse. He says there, uh, then put away the foreign gods and the Asheroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. This is a visible action the hearers are called to do and to show the authenticity of their repentance. They were called to put away the false gods And they had, that they had brought into their lives. They were called to put them away. So here's a key truth. If you want to understand anything today, understand this. Internal repentance always impacts external appearance. Internal repentance always impacts external appearance. Paul explains this in Ephesians. He tells new believers that they are to be different than they were before. He explains without Christ, they were blind. They live in darkness. They live in impurity before knowing Christ. Then he writes this in Ephesians chapter four, verses 20 through 24. It says, but that is not the way you learn Christ assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceit, deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, internal repentance and belief in Jesus as Lord will always impact external appearances and actions now (laughs) i'm not saying that when you believe in jesus you got to grow a beard i'm not saying when you believe in jesus that you got to wear a tie to church i am saying that the things you actually do the things that can be seen done in your actions if your repentance is true will be impacted by the truth of Jesus. While we understand we will never be perfect on this side of glory, if your faith in Jesus hasn't made one ounce of a difference in the way that you act, live, think, and react, you better be asking yourself if you really have faith in Jesus. If there is no desire to submit to Jesus... And to live your life for him, now that you've been reconciled unto God, you better be asking yourself if you really have faith in Jesus. The Israelites were told to put away their false gods that they had worshipped. Those who know Christ Jesus have been called to put off the old self, the sinless or sinful flesh, and to seek righteousness in all that they do. Internal repentance always impacts external appearance that's what a faithful invitation is faithful invitation given by a preacher an evangelist a friend is a call to repent and act if a preacher told you that jesus died on the cross but at the same time your sins are no big deal so keep on in it they would be leading you astray they would be making light of what jesus christ died for Further, if a preacher told you, clean up your life and every little speck of sin in it without sharing that Jesus Christ died to pay for that sin. They would be leading you astray, leading you to depend upon yourself. The faithful preacher tells you that Jesus died for your sins and through your faith, you are empowered to seek righteousness for the glory of God, that you have the spirit as your helper. And if you've truly been adopted into the family of God, you will understand there is no higher calling than to give glory to God. We're all called to be stewards for God's glory. So in verse three, Samuel gives an invitation to the people and let's look at how they responded to this during the rest of the climax of this saga. Verses four through six say, so, so the, uh, the people of Israel put away the bales and the Ashtoreth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Let's make this really simple. The people heard, and they did. They heard, and they did. Samuel, as a prophet speaking for the Lord himself, said to the people, if you are really turning to the Lord with all your heart, put away the false gods and serve the Lord alone. And wouldn't you know it? The people did it. What a wild thing to think about. They casted away their false gods that they had allowed to infiltrate their nation. What's interesting to me is that in their repentance, Samuel also had the people gather together there at Mizpah, as you can see in verse six and five. Church, it is good to rely on one another. The church should be a place where we support one another in our repentance and in our service to the Lord. It would be such a lovely place if every Sunday morning, our Sunday, our, our, our church here, this building looked like Mizpah on the day the Israelites gathered. In this gathering, we see three manifestations of repentance. I wanna draw out here really quickly. Number one, they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord. You say, Brad, that's weird. We don't even have a well. You want to start drawing out water? Pouring out water, man, gas is four bucks. You want me to be wasting water right now? I got to keep that bill down. But the pouring out of water represented something that I think we should all hope to experience and understand. Some scholars suggest this action, this drawing of water and pouring of water is Israel saying we could wish to shed as many tears as our drops of water in this bucket. Lamentations 2.19 says, I don't have this on the screen, but it says, Arise, cry out in the night. At the beginning of the night, watch, pour out your heart like water, before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. When is the last time, if ever, you have poured your heart like water before the presence of the Lord? It would be a marvelous thing if every Sunday we poured out our hearts before the Lord. We also see number two, that they fasted. Fasting shows a total dependence upon the Lord. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. They fasted, they depended on the Lord. They confessed. They made no no excuses, no tolerations, no, well, they made me do it things. They said, we have sinned against the Lord. What a blessing it would be If in our lives and in our gatherings, we mourned our sins. We totally depended on the Lord and made confession rather than concession. That is the climax of this story. We'll go over the next few verses quickly, but every single thing. We've been looking at in this Lost Ark Saga was God leading his people to repent and depend on him and him alone. Let me tell you, the climax, the tipping point, the peak of all peaks of everything in your life is when you repent and submit to the Lord as well. As we'll see with the Israelites, it doesn't mean that no battles will ever happen. It doesn't mean that trouble will never be at the door, but it does mean That when you struggle in your life to find meaning and purpose, you won't have to do that anymore. It does mean that you will have eternal peace and reconciliation with your maker. So let's briefly walk through the following action and resolution to the lost uh, ark saga here. Look at verses 7 through 14. It says... Now the Philistines when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah the lord of the Philistines went up against Israel and when the people of Israel heard it they went, they were afraid of the Philistines and the people of Israel said to Samuel do not cease to cry out to the lord our maker or the lord our god for us so that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And Samuel uh, was offering up the burnt offering. The Philistine drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered up with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before the Lord. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and called its name uh, Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from the Israelites uh, from Israel were restored to Israel from Ekron to Gath. And Israel delivered their territory from the land of the Philistines. There was peace Also between Israel and the Amorites here, we see the Philistines coming back for another battle while uh, Israel is in the middle of this repenting and this confession and worshiping the Lord. But unlike in chapter four, the Israelites do something incredible instead of wheeling the Ark of the Covenant out as a good luck token. They ask their prophet to speak to the Lord. Instead of relying on superstition and willing it to happen on their own, they understand that God is the God alone who can save them from the Philistines. They even say that he may save us when they ask Samuel to pray for them, understanding they don't boss God around. They've understood at this point, God is God and I am not. Shoo, buddy, if we could only understand it ourselves. We see then that God fights the battle Don't forget to, or don't skip over that precious, innocent lamb that was slain to pay the debt of their sin. Sin always has a debt. And let me tell you, if you repent the sin, your sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So then we see God fight the battle. The battle truly belongs to the Lord. He confused the enemy. He thundered them with a mighty sound, and he did the heavy lifting. And so the people go and they mark the land uh, with the Lord's victory. They put a stone called Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. They realize the Lord, uh, everything that they have comes from Him. He is their stone of help. And then the saga concludes with the last two verses. It says, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and he judged Israel in all these places then he would return to Ramah for his home was there and there also he judged Israel and built there an altar to the Lord Samuel leads the nation of Israel to repentance he is the faithful servant uh, to his uh, to his service to both his to both his God and to his people and the chapter ends with him building an altar to the Lord the holiness and worthiness of God is respected. There is a time of peace in Israel that comes from this. They live submissively to God and they are blessed. They realize God is God and they are his people. And that is exactly how those power dynamics should go. As this series is concluding, I want to tell you that neither I nor any other minister for that matter can guarantee you a physical blessing. But I can assure you, according to the word of God, every word of which that proves true, that if you submit to Jesus as Lord, you will be saved. You will be given eternal peace and eternal life. This whole series should be a wake-up call that there is a righteous, holy God of whom we are unworthy to enjoy even for a millisecond. And yet that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us and that through faith we would be restored to him. Serve that God and that God only. Nothing else is worthy of your devotion. As Samuel called the Israelites to repentance, So am I calling those able to hear this today. We read in Acts 3 19, repent, therefore turn again that your sins may be blotted out. Do so today. I said that true repentance always impacts external appearance. One of the ways that that happens is by true repentance leading to a public profession Let it be known that you understand God is God and I am not. And that God loved you enough to send Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again, assuring you of eternal life. Make that known. Don't wait. Don't linger. Don't hide it. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. But let it be known here in the presence of this congregation and everywhere you go. If you're watching online, you can put a comment right there and I will reach right out to you. If you're here, we're going to have a a hymn of repentance or a hymn of response. You can come forward. I would love to pray with you. But understand we must repent and submit to the Lord. Do not wait. Do so today. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. I pray that your word is pierced to the heart today. That you're drawing sinners unto you. We would understand it's all about you. We understand that we fall short so often that your grace covers. Jesus died for everyone who would believe in him. Lord, I pray that there are people today believing, understanding Jesus as the Lord of lords and King of kings, worthy of all glory, honor, and praise, our submission, that we love him. And so we do what he's commanded of us. And though we do so imperfectly, we rest In his grace, knowing that glory is coming. Use us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Durban Memorial Baptist Church Podcast. If you want to find out more about our church, you can check out www.durbanchurch.org. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can give us a call or text to 859-813-0369. Also, you can shoot us an email at brad at durbanchurch.org. Have a wonderful day and God bless.